Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Overhaul is the nothing personal word of the day. Today is the day after Valentine's Day. It is Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. Overhaul, as in what the NBA is attempting to do right now in the middle of a collective bargaining agreement while negotiating an extension of the current collective bargaining agreement because each side has an opt-out that they could exercise at the end of this season. And we said on a previous show, they do not want to have either side opt out and they would like to get an extension for more labor peace so they can move on to other ways to increase revenue, therefore increasing salaries, payroll, and the salary cap. The NBA, in my opinion, has one major issue. And I'm gonna talk about it one more time. No, that's not true. Maybe 10 more times, but today we're focusing on the concept of load management. Now, don't turn your dial. Don't turn away from this live broadcast. Don't tell me you're not pissed off that you go to a game and you don't know who's going to play. It's not like baseball where you know who the starting pitcher is and maybe there's an injury. Maybe the cleanup hitter is going to sit. Maybe there'll be the Sunday lineup on Wednesday. But generally, you go to a baseball game with an expectation that you are seeing two teams. The overwhelming majority of players are going to be playing if they're not injured. In basketball, you try to make a pick of the day, you try to make a bet, you try to figure out in advance, hey, there's one time a year that the Lakers are coming to town, I'm getting that game, I wanna see LeBron, I wanna see Steph Curry, I wanna see Giannis, I wanna see Luka, I wanna see Kyrie. Well, I don't know who says that. And you don't know what you're gonna find when you get to a game, except a bunch of horse hockey injuries that are put on an injury report that says groin tightness, ankle stiffness, knee soreness, head achiness. Those players don't have that. I'm not talking about torn Achilles or a torn ACL or a sprained MCL where you're out one or two weeks. I'm talking about when you see an injury report that has a player not playing, oh, what a coincidence. It's the second game of a back-to-back and they come up with some cockamamie story. Why not just tell you the truth? He doesn't want to play. 
there's a uh, company that was invented. Maybe it's more than one company. I don't know. I'm not an investor, nor do I want to be. So don't get on Twitter at David P. Sampson and tell me about the bracelets to use when I don't sleep to tell me how great my sleep wasn't. And then I get to the ballpark and the trainer walks over to the manager and says, Johnny didn't sleep well. Take him out of the lineup. Really? That's how we're going to do it? Forget about it. It is completely predetermined by management, coaching staff, and players. When you've got an investment of $40 million a year into a player, and you know that the regular season doesn't mean anything, and you know it because Giannis himself said, hey, I'm not that worried about catching the Celtics. I'm good, two seed, one seed, three seed, we all bleed for you seed. No one cares. If they don't care about the regular season, and I mean management, ownership, and players, how exactly do you care? Ah, because that's the only way to access postseason tickets, playoff tickets. At least in baseball, you get one month of playoffs. In basketball, it's two months, May, June. We are telling you, it's, this is so good. Wouldn't it be great if you went to a restaurant and they said to you, listen, just so you know, I would stay away from the apps. I'd stay away from dinner, but man, do we have good desserts. That's called it's sugar or Max Brenner. But you don't want that to be a basketball season. Why? Because then you're at risk, not just of your ticket revenue, but also of your sponsorship revenue. Because if people are not paying attention, forget ratings, forget what the broadcast deals are. No, don't forget the broadcast deals. Do you think it's a coincidence that the NBA is looking to figure out how to change load management and they're going out to renegotiate broadcast deals and you're reading articles about how NBC may be interested in getting back in the game. There's gonna be a streaming package. TNT's gonna have to pay up even though they cautioned their investors during an analyst call, hey, we don't need the NBA anymore. Don't worry about the fact that we just signed Kenny Smith, Shaquille O'Neal, Ernie Johnson, and Charles Barkley to a long-term deal. We don't need to renew. The NBA is trying to figure out how to maximize their broadcast revenue. You're gonna see a podcast, I don't know when it's gonna drop, I forgot to ask Levitard, that Skipper and I recorded yesterday, and we talked about these rights deals, and we talked about where they're going. At least I think we did, I can't remember. Coke and I had a conversation this morning about something that I wanted to put in the show today, and he said, hey, idiot, you did that Monday. That was 48 hours ago. How am I supposed to remember that? So the NBA is looking to increase its broadcast deals. One of the ways to get more money is to make sure that you are getting more bang for your buck and you can present a product that people wanna buy. Now you could argue that these networks are only buying it to get the playoffs, but I would argue that there is a part of every broadcast deal that has to do with the regular season. And you are putting that part in jeopardy. You are putting in fan affinity, you're putting in all of the things into the pot that you do not want if you're trying to make a souffle of loyalty. That souffle builds, it rises like yeast, not during Passover. It's supposed to build to a crescendo toward the end of the regular season and then bubbles up and boils during the postseason leading to the NBA Finals. That's what all the leagues are trying to do. But in order for something to boil, you have to get the ingredients and start cooking it. That's what a regular season is. So the NBA came out yesterday and said, we've got an idea. This is gonna be new, but just stay with me. We know how to get players to play during the regular season. 
we're going to make a minimum requirement of games played in order to be eligible for the postseason awards. Ta-da! Crickets. That's what the NBA came up with? Hi, my name's Giannis. I don't really care what seed we are. I like winning the MVP, that's fun, but give me the ring. You're gonna tell me I can't win the MVP if I sit out a certain number of games? All right, let me check my watch. I'm good. It's not gonna have one impact on a player decision, and here's what's even better. You think that owners are gonna be incentivized to have players play that number of games so they can be eligible for postseason awards? when there's incentives and contracts that calls for extra money to be paid to players for winning those awards. The only people who like their players to win awards are people like me, whose teams weren't good after 03. And the only way to get a cover of the media guide or to get any sort of positive attention is to get a Cy Young or an MVP or a home run champion or a gold glove or a silver slugger. Give me something that I can market. Give me an opening day ceremony. But the truth of the matter is that it's like All-Star Game. Hey, that's just another 50 grand to a player who was named to the All-Star team. It's in every contract, except for arbitration. Did you know, side note, in Major League Baseball, all these players who are going to arbitration now and you're reading about wins and losses, those are clean contracts. There are no incentives, there are no bonus packages, there's no awards packages. But all the settlements that happen and all the long-term deals that are signed all have incentives and awards package bonuses. That was one of the benefits of going to arbitration with the player. Ha, you're an all-star, good for you. We'll save the 50 grand and buy a gouache, maybe a quarter of a gouache. So the owners aren't gonna be incentivized. The players who are making outrageous salaries, and I'm not bemoaning the fact that they're paid, I'm bemoaning the fact when players are overpaid, that's all. They're not gonna be incentivized to play extra. What's another way that you can overhaul without tying it to awards? How about the schedule? How about lowering the number of games from 82 to 70, let's say? How about guaranteeing that there'll be fewer back-to-back -back games? Did you know that the average team used to play 20 sets of back-to-backs? That's almost a quarter of their games. But then they started changing. And in 2018-19, before the uh, COVID pandemic, teams didn't play more than 15 back-to-backs. But 15 back-to-backs, that's a lot of sets. It's hard. I have always told you that being a baseball player to me is the hardest thing to do for an athlete. I'm not saying they're the best athletes. I'm not saying they don't smoke heaters. What I am saying, or blunts or anything, what I am saying is getting going 162 times in 180 days or 185 days, you try doing that. It's harder than you think. It becomes a routine, no doubt, but by the end of the season, players are completely gassed. Injuries happen more frequently. Performance suffers because the regular season is such a grind. But baseball has not figured out a way to make enough teams whole for lost revenue by shortening the schedule. We could not get enough teams to agree to cut the schedule from 162 to 154. That's only losing four home games, but all these teams who sell out they wanted to be made whole and baseball was unwilling to do it. In basketball, if you go from 82 to 70, you're losing six home games. So you'll have 35 instead of 41. 
if you're the Warriors and you're making $7 million a game, you got to get a check for 42 million bucks. I'm not sure the NBA is going to want to do that. What about lengthening the schedule? Well, you could have the NBA go until July, but that's not good because Rob Manfred wouldn't be happy with that. That's supposed to be baseball time. The players wouldn't be happy with that because they want to be on summer vacation. I know you could start in August. No, that's not good. They don't want to do that either. So the only solution, if you're going to lower the number of games, is you have to negotiate a players getting same salaries for playing fewer games. You have to make sure that teams are made whole for having fewer games. And you have to make sure that local broadcast rights remain whole because they won't have as many games available locally. In baseball, did you know that when you do local broadcast deals, you generally make available 150 games? There's no local broadcast deal that calls for 162 games. And the reason is that you can't make 162 available because they're national games that are exclusive that you can't offer locally to your provider. So you make the number less and it comes out to an amount per game. That's what you negotiate. We're gonna have 150 games. Our deal is 150 million. That's a million a game. If you only give us 130 games, we're cutting you to 130 million. Players don't want that because in the NBA, you've got basketball-related revenue tied to a salary cap, which is tied to the amount of money players make. So that's not gonna work. So when we're talking about overhaul, what that generally is supposed to mean, when you overhaul something, that's supposed to come with huge changes. So I have a suggestion to the NBA. The best way to get players to play as many games as possible is to take money out of their pockets. It's to put incentives that are league mandated incentives in every contract. You know how there's a non-discretionary uh, arbitration pool? Let me say that better, 4869. Do you know in baseball in the last collective bargaining agreement, there's a pre-arbitration pool and that money comes from the commissioner's office, comes from a fund, and that goes to players who are in line for awards as rookies or rookies who've been on the team the whole year. There's ways that this money gets to young players. What if we made a rule that players have to play 85% of their season to get their salary? But then for anything above 85% in basketball, let's say you stayed 82 games, so 70 games is around 85%. Oh, side note, Coca, have I ever told you my 85% story? 85 is my favorite number. 85 is the number that I put on jerseys as soon as the uh, expos were purchased. We did, we did gifts to people and we put 85 on the jersey. And the reason is that we always thought that if you had an 85% of the industry average payroll that you could be competitive, but you had to be at 85%. So if the industry average payroll is 100, the Expos had to be at 85. And if they're not at 85, they can't be competitive because there's a correlation between size of payroll and number of wins. Of course, that has proven to be completely out of the question. There is no correlation, no matter what your friends say in the media or what fans say or fantasy players say, if you are smart, you do not need a certain percentage of payroll. If you're stupid, you can have 300% of the industry average payroll and still watch October every year. But 85% has always been my favorite number. I mean, 91 is my favorite number and five, but 85 is pretty cool. 
So let's say players have to play 85% of their games and that's their salary. Then there's a bonus pool for all games played above. That's the best way to get players to play is that you cut back to backs, pay them, and owners are gonna have a problem because they're saying it's a full season. We're signing you to play for a full season, but we've got to change the way it's going because right now you're paying players for a full season and they're not playing. And you're paying players who are injured. I mean, go down the list, it's absurd. Lucas played 49 of 59 games. Embiid, 44 of 56. Giannis, 47 of 57. Damian Lillard, 45 of 57. LeBron, LeBron, he's 38, he gets a pass. 44 of 58. Jokic, 50 of 58. Think about that. These players are missing so many games. It's like LeBron's missed. Now he's got an injury, I guess, but just take Luke. I guess he had a heel contusion. Not sure what that is, but he's missed 10 of 60 games. It's absurdity. I think you're gonna see some changes. I really do. Because one of the things that owners are told during every owner's meeting in every sport, and you know this, and I hope that you preach it when you're talking about sports to your friends and family, the biggest problem that team presidents and owners have is paying players not to play. And that is what an injury is. If you're suspended or put on administrative leave or you're suspended for drugs or suspended for domestic violence, whatever you're suspended for, and you're not being paid, that's one thing. But when you're injured and being paid not to play, that's a big problem because then you've got to pay a replacement player and your payroll goes up, your payroll expenses go up. How do you think the New Orleans Pelicans feel about Zion Williamson? How's he doing? Do you remember what I told you when Zion was playing great back in December? He had come back. The Pelicans were like the top ranked seed in the West. I actually gave you a wait to see. Do you remember that? Wait to see when I tell you something's going to happen. You know, I revisit it. On December 16th, I actually said to you that Zion is going to finish in the top three in MVP. I'm taking the loss on that already. Today, February 15th, with 24 games left in the season, and I'm taking the loss on that wait to see. Zion is not gonna finish in the top three because Zion doesn't play. He's been out with a hamstring injury since what? The beginning of January? And it was just announced he's gonna miss even more time post All-Star break, another couple weeks. I've told you about those pesky hamstrings. If you try to come back too early, it's not gonna work. My hamstring got hurt last June. I did Kilimanjaro in July on the torn hamstring, tried to run a marathon in September. Since September, October, November, December, January, five months, and I've just started running February 1st. And even then, I still feel a tweak from time to time, and I'm no Zion, I'm no professional athlete. I'm just an amateur hour runner trying to get rid of a little pop belly and try to get some calf definition. So Zion Williamson and many players like him, when do you, we didn't even talk about this Coca, but I have to mention it. When does a player go from injury prone to just straight injured? To me, we had a player in the beginning of his career and you may have heard of him, his name was Giancarlo Stanton. He would have different injuries that would come up, different tissue injuries. It'd be a knee or it'd be a thigh, it'd be a hammy be a shoulder, an elbow, a head, a knee, a toe. 
head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And what our baseball people said to us, hey, you're fine to sign him long-term. These are not like degenerative injuries. This is not where an MRI shows that the elbow's falling apart or you've got arthritis or something happening that when he gets old, he's gonna be bad. These are just bad luck. He got hit in the face with a pitch. You know, you these things aren't gonna happen again and again. And I believed it. That's why we signed him to 13, three and a quarter. And I'm not sure whether I'm right or wrong as I look back on Giancarlo's career. Do I call him injury prone or is he just injured? One of the great keys to the Yankees this year will be him being like the 2017 MVP that I know he can be. Here's a hint, Yankees, play him in the damn field. He likes it. What about Zion? When do you start admitting that what you're doing from a training standpoint isn't working? When do you start saying to yourself that he's not gonna be someone we can build a team around? Even though we signed him to a huge extension. Five years, $194 million. What has he done? Last July 6th, when he signed that deal, I told you my wait to see, this is almost a year ago. I said he will not play 60 games this season. I'm taking the win on that because it's mathematically impossible for him to play 60 games. Zion Williamson is a player you cannot count on to build your team around. No one wants to acknowledge it because when he plays, he's MVP caliber, even convinced me. He makes his team great. Guess what doesn't make his team great? Being in his skivvies on the bench. I don't know, you gotta do something about the injuries and it's not load management because it's not working. The NBA is gonna have to figure out what they're gonna do. They're gonna overhaul some rules, I promise you that, because no one's happy with load management, no one's happy with injuries, and no one cares if they're not eligible for the MVP. Adam Silver has his work cut out for him, and he's gotta work quickly because the opt-out for this current CBA is quickly approaching. You know what else is quickly approaching? Transition alert, baseball season. Hell yeah! Who's not excited? Your team is tied for first right now. You've got the hope if you're not the Tigers. You've got the hope if you're not the Reds. You've got the hope if you're not the Pirates. You've got the hope if you're not the Rockies. You've got the hope if you're not the Marlins. You've got the hope, baby. We can do this. We can get to October. I didn't mean to put the Marlins in there. The Marlins have good enough pitching that they should be competitive. I mean, I think you can win with 29 second basemen. But this year, it was announced and discussed and explained yesterday is going to have some of the biggest rule changes we've ever seen in our lifetime. Morgan Sword is a person I worked with in the commissioner's office. He's a brilliant man. And he was put out front with these rule changes and he gave a quote yesterday, frankly, I guess he didn't learn that or get taught you don't start something with frankly. That's like saying to be honest. To be honest, it's probably Frankly, he said, it's probably, that made me laugh. If you're gonna say frankly, you better say surely. Frankly, it's probably the biggest change that's been made in baseball in most of our lifetimes. I guess he's not talking to the older people in the game, but let's talk about some of these rule changes. We mentioned a few yesterday, but we gotta mention two that are going on that have caught your attention. Let's talk about the bigger bases. There's a lot of pictures online that the bases are the size of pizza boxes now. I actually have a bunch of bases from the course of my career and I have them in a closet. I have some of them hung up. 
You'd be surprised how heavy bases are. Home plate, by the way, is amazingly heavy because it goes into the ground and it's hugely thick and amazingly heavy. And all you see is the top. Regular bases get put into a, uh, they have a, uh, Come on, Coco, what's the word for it? They have a, a stem that gets put in a hole and you lift it and uh, they're not light, but not as heavy as home plate. They've now made the bases bigger, which means that the old story of the 90 feet between bases, 60 feet, six inches between the rubber and the home plate and 90 feet between the bases, it's not 90 feet anymore. They shortened the distance trying to increase the running game trying to decrease injuries around the bases. One of the things that we would do, we had a TV in our suite when we were watching the games, and one of the TVs we had was focused always on first base. We wanted to look at the plays and we wanted to be in touch with the video replay room because the majority of challenges are happening at first base. Then you've got the steal second challenges, did his foot come off the bag. But what we worry about from home to first is greater than any other 90 feet in baseball. We worry about people getting out of the box. Are they gonna pull a hammy? Are they gonna come up lame? Are they gonna step on the first baseman's foot? Are they gonna step on the bag wrong? We worry about ankles and hamstrings nonstop between home and first, literally nonstop. And so what the hope was with bigger bases is that there's enough room for the first baseman, enough room for the hitter and the runner that there will never be any sort of crash collision or any sort of injuries in that way. The other hope is that with the shortened distance that managers will put the game in motion more. So there were several rules that were changed this year to get the game in motion because what had happened was total stagnation. The reason is that all the analytics people valued outs in such a way that you're not gonna give in to them. You don't like sacrifice flies. You don't like sacrifice bunts. You don't like stolen bases because why would you ever have an out when you can have a home run with runners on base? Doubles and triples have gone by the wayside, even singles. We talk about the true outcome of, a, of an at-bat, of being a strikeout, a walk, or a home run. Baseball wants to change it. They think it'll be more exciting. They think that you'll be all pumped up to watch people scoring around the bases, sliding into third, and watching right fielders try to throw a dime right to third base on a bounce, sometimes on the fly if you're Vladimir Guerrero Sr. So you make the bases shorter, but that wouldn't be enough. So then they changed the engagement rule. I like changes in engagement rules. I'd like to think that engagements can be changed. You get engaged and then you say, I'm just kidding. Or you get engaged and say, does that mean I get a bachelor party? Now I'm disengaged, then I'm re-engaged. It's a great word. You're engaged to someone, you're engaged to something. Pitcher's feet are engaged with the rubber, unless you're Carter Capps, whose foot was never engaged with the rubber. You take your place on the mound, you get the ball, you get into position, you get your foot and you step out. Step out, you we yell. You, we, we all yell. Step off. That means you disengage the rubber. Look at the runner, look him back to second base. If there's a runner on second, disengage, turn around. We don't have a pickoff play on. We don't have the center fielder going to the backup. All of this, if you're watching on YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson Live, we do a lot of this, right? It's not aloha. It's not, yo, what's shaking? Rock on, baby. This is who's covering second on a pickoff throw or in a stolen base. And they point. It's all discussed beforehand, by the way. But all of that said, we confirm it. And sometimes there's no play except step off. 
but MLB has changed the rule, limiting the number of disengagements to two during an at-bat. How awesome is that? Do you know what happens if a pitcher disengages a third time? You sure as hell better get someone out or else it's a balk which means if there's a runner on second, he goes to third. If there's a runner on third, he goes home. If there's a runner on first, he goes to second. If there's a runner at home, he goes to first. No, that would be amazing. That would be a rule change. Then all the catchers hitting 170, and you always say you can't steal first base except on a swinging third strike that's not caught by the catcher. If you could block to first base, now that would make the game interesting, wouldn't it? But no, that's not the case. You can only balk runners on base, they get to advance a base. So the new rule is that if you disengage the rubber a third time, you better pick off the player or else it's gonna be called a balk. In addition, the existing balk rules are going to be called more often. One of my favorite things with umpires that we used to do is ask them, why don't you call the game according to the rule book? There's a rule right here that talks about where the strike zone is. Why do you tell me that you have a different strike zone? Here's the rule. There's a rule about when to call a box. There's like 20 instances of how to call a balk. Why do you let some go and not others? There's delay of games. They got rid of delay of games and now there's pitch clocks. You've gotta be ready to go in 15 seconds. And guess what? If you're not ready to go, that's a ball. Hitters have to be ready to go with eight seconds left on the clock. Nomar Garcia Parra is despondent. He can't rearrange his batting gloves and Bryce Harper can't tap the bat 10 times. You've gotta be ready in the hitting position when the pitch timer says eight seconds. So now players, both offense and defense, have to be looking at the pitch clock. Managers are paying attention and umpires are paying attention because supposedly they're gonna call a ball or a strike. Two on, two out, two strikes. Two on, two out, two strikes. Time runner at the plate. Here comes the strike three, game over. Huh? What just happened? The pitch clock's at seven, dude, and you've got one foot out of the box. Game over, I got a flight to catch. When I see a game end on a pitch clock violation by a hitter or a pitch clock violation by a pitcher that causes someone like Christian Javier when he rocks the baby or Kenley Jansen when he pauses for 10 seconds, all that's gonna stop. The 82 game preseason is in the books and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think they'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 
please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Any commercial that has Sylvester Stallone saying Gesundheit, that's a commercial for me. If you don't have CBS or Paramount Plus, get it now. Paramount Plus Plus Showtime coming your way soon. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it means you didn't watch the show live this morning, 8 a.m., three days a week, soon to be more, I bet. Wait to see. Please rate, review, subscribe. Do whatever you have to do to keep us going because we're the Energizer Bunny, baby. We ain't stopping. I don't like saying ain't. That's not a word. We're not stopping. I watched a movie on a channel yesterday. What channel was it? I don't know. Netflix? It's called Narvik. I never heard of Narvik. And I'm pretty worldly. I love to travel. I'm honored and privileged to have traveled as much as I have. And I had not heard of Narvik. And I'm not a huge history guy, which is disappointing. I'm more of a math guy and an English guy. And I just said ain't 30 seconds ago. So despite all evidence to the contrary, I'm an English and a math guy. Narvik is a place in Norway, which was the scene of Hitler's first defeat in World War II. This is a movie about a town, a seaside town, and what happened during World War II when they were under siege, how they beat the Germans. Spoiler alert, it was a very well-earned and costly victory and very short-lived. But it's a movie about what happened in this town where Norway was supposed to be neutral and Norway lost its neutrality. There are subtitles, you'll get through it, you will won't notice them. You're gonna learn something about World War II. It's, the war scenes are quite fascinating. Not as good as All Quiet on the Western Front or Saving Private Ryan, but really, really close. They made me up there with, with Sylvester Stallone on that Mount Rushmore for Paramount Plus. But to know about a battle that happened, how many times have you heard about Hitler being defeated? I only heard about sort of how it ended. I didn't know there was an interim defeat, but it turns out there was. Interim. We use that word a lot, right? An interim coach. It means that they're coming on for now, but you're gonna have to go through multiple interviews. Good luck to you. Interim. Interim manager, interim coach. I don't know why that's in my head right now. We're not even talking about that. We're not even talking about Jeff Saturday. Who are we talking about? Ah, Greg Hare, higher, higher. Remember we did a segment yesterday at New Mexico State University in that hazing, and I gave you my views of hazing and those players that like touching the scrotal sack of their teammates and how the coaches were put on administrative leave. And I had a wait to see that I didn't put in the show that Coke is not letting me take credit for, which is the head coach is getting canned. There's no coming back from what's going on at New Mexico State. It took them a day after my segment. Are they nothing personal fans? He got himself canned yesterday. End of the road for Greg. Not a moment too soon. Although about 10 moments too late for the kids who got hazed. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. We didn't do a pick yesterday because we didn't get to it which is strange, we always get to it. We're 23 and 27. We had the Mavs seven and a half over the T-Wolves and it didn't quite work out two days ago. The T-Wolves won by three. What was interesting about that is everyone was all gaga about Kyrie and Luca, two new two mates, the super two. They each had 33 points or more. What a great group. 
at the end of the game, they were down three. They couldn't even get a shot off because they kept passing to each other. They didn't. They wanted to be selfless, and they ended up losing the game over it. What's interesting to me about it is uh, when you put people together, it takes some time to develop a rhythm. That's why the midseason trades, you know, Kevin Durant is not going to walk into Phoenix and all of a sudden he's going to be, it's going to be a perfect sort of symmetry between the players. Part of the beauty and grace of winning is knowing where your teammates are going to be. Think about a player like Magic Johnson or Isaiah Thomas or John Stockton. There's a reason why Stockton and Malone were Stockton to Malone. They, they, they would not need to do anything but a quick glance and they would know. You get that with quarterbacks and receivers. You don't really get that in baseball because you don't need that, but in basketball, you do. And Luka and Kyrie don't have it, and I don't know when they're gonna get it, but they better hurry if they're gonna make any noise in the Western Conference. They're playing a team tonight called the Denver Nuggets. Is it possible that Jokic is gonna get his third MVP? Did you watch what he did against the Heat the other night? This guy is a unicorn. I tweeted about a unicorn named Ichiro yesterday, but the more I look at Jokic, he may be a unicorn also. I mean, not like the Greek freak unicorn, but close enough, maybe better. Who's better, Coca? Do you have Jokic or Giannis as the better player? If you were starting a team right now, same salary, same age, just the way they play, do I want Jokic or do I want Giannis? I'm gonna say Jokic, here's why. Every time Giannis does the European four-step into the lane, all I picture is Patrick Mahomes' ankle. Am I alone in that? Do Milwaukee Bucks fans not worry every time he does it, he's gonna step on someone's shoe and he's gonna, his ankle's gonna like explode? I think I'm gonna start with Jokic. He plays Luka, it's Jokic, Donkic, Irving. I wonder if Murray's playing. Well, the Nuggets are giving seven. I don't really care, I'm taking him. Nuggets minus seven over the Mavs. I'm not gonna get burnt by Luka and Kyrie twice. Nuggets, touchdown over the Mavs. So it's been a couple days since the NBA trade deadline. You're beginning to see the new players play for the new teams. Everyone's excited. They feel good about their chances. They like where they are, or they're looking forward to the draft. They like where they're gonna be. They may have liked where they were. Jacques Vaughn is the coach of the Nets. He took over for the fired Steve Nash. Jacques Vaughn is now coaching a team that has a big three of James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. Oh, I'm sorry. Of Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. Oh no, sorry. It's Robin Lopez, Brooks Lopez, and Paul Pierce. No, I don't think that's it either. Oh, it's Chris Childs, Bernard King, and Ernie Grunfeld. No, no, there is no big three with the Nets. Jacques Vaughn is coaching a team that's pretty fun to watch, actually, with the guys they got from the Mavericks, Didwitty, Dinwitty, and Finney Smith. I like them. But what are they doing with Ben Simmons? Ben Simmons, the Max guy. Ben Simmons, the one who set out. Ben Simmons, the one who will not shoot the ball. Ben Simmons, the all-world defensive player. Jacques Vaughn actually met the media and gave a quote about Ben Simmons that is quite interesting. And I would not want my coach saying this about my player, especially one making the max. He said, it's gonna be some work that we have to do because you just take a look at what the lineups could potentially look like. You put another big next to Ben, then you gotta figure out what the spacing is around him. And then if you put another playmaker next to him, then you gotta figure out what Ben looks like without the basketball. 
Then if you go small with Ben, you have to figure out, can you rebound enough with him? So we've got challenges ahead of us and we're gonna look at them head on. We'll figure it out. We have the personnel to figure it out, but we've got challenges. Holy crikeys. Can you imagine having a player making that much money who's supposed to have been part of your big three, who's now not even part of your big one? Not only is he coming off the bench, and I don't mean like Westbrook sixth man type of coming off the bench. I'm talking about a guy that's not even seen heavy fourth quarter minutes. I always liked like the toaster oven, the microwave, Vinnie Johnson winning six man of awards, but he was always on the floor at the end of the game. You want your best players on at the end. You want it's winning time at the end of the NBA games. You know very well from betting the NBA, you know from watching the NBA, you can look at a first quarter score and shove it up your keister. It doesn't matter. What matters is your personnel at the end. And if you have someone on your team who you don't count on to play at the end because you don't know what to do with him and he's not a scorer and he looks lost, he's not looking to shoot, he can't get his teammates involved even, what's he doing? So Jacques Vaughn has to figure out what you're gonna do. But guess what? It's not Jacques Vaughn's problem. This is what you're doing if you're the Brooklyn Nets. You are doing everything in your power to get rid of Ben Simmons. You are telling Jacques Vaughn that Ben Simmons is not to be in the rotation. We're going full Jay Crowder on him. We are gonna go and to battle, and I don't like the war analogies, David, stop doing that. We are gonna go to war. for wipe that coca for the non-live part of the show although we're live so we can't do that for 12 69 we are going to put the best players we can to put ourselves in the best chance to win and i'm going to tell my coach exactly what i want in the rotation and regardless of the amount of money a player is being paid our job is to win as many games as possible therefore i'm going to have ben simmons sit And the reason I'm gonna have Ben Simmons sit is not because he needs help with mental health. It's not because he needs help with physical health. It's because Ben Simmons is not good enough to be in the rotation as the main guy of a winning team. He cannot carry a team. He can't be the superstar. He is a role player at best. And when you try to win with only role players, I think you've learned in all sports, NGTH, it's not going to happen. And don't stick your coach out there in front of the media and have your coach responsible for communicating the issues. What do you think? They go to practice and they figure out different lineups and that the coach and the assistant coaches get together and then they go to Sean Marks and they go to Joe Sy and say, this is what we've come up with. It doesn't work that way. It goes top down, not mid up. So Sean Marks is sitting there deciding, man, we couldn't get rid of him. We tried, couldn't do it. Are we just gonna bite the bullet? Is it okay? Joe, do I have your permission to not play him? Because there are many times that owners demand the players play. There's many times that owners demand that players play because they don't want to be embarrassed because of a sign. There's many times that front offices demand to managers that players play or demand to the player development people that players play in minor league baseball because they don't want to be embarrassed by their draft pick. You wonder why first round draft kicks, draft picks get 20 chances to fail and lower round picks get one. It's all ego of the people who chose the player, who scouted the player, who are developing the player, who drafted, who traded for, who signed. It's all about the ego. To remove ego from a situation, you have to remove emotion. 
and the Brooklyn Nets have a hugely emotional situation going on right now. They are on the heels of getting some of the worst press that any local team in New York has ever gotten. And that's saying something given that across the river, you're talking about Jim Dolan. You think that they don't read the back pages every day? You think they don't know that they put together a big three that was a big zero? You don't think that they realized that they had to put their head between their legs and, re- and trade all their players and start over? If you're going to do it, rip it off. You ripped off the Band-Aid by trading Durant. You ripped it off by getting rid of Kyrie. Don't rip it off hair by hair with Ben. Don't have him play seven minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Take him out of the rotation. I'm pretty sure that's what you're going to see happen. Okay. I'm going to end with one thing here that uh, is important to me to mention. When spring training starts, I'm going to go back to baseball for just three minutes, Coco. Just give me this. When spring training starts, you get there, you're in front of your team, you're the president of the team, you're the GM, you're looking at what you've done during the offseason. You pay special attention to your new acquisitions. You pay special attention to the current players you have who you signed to extensions. You say hello. You get ready to push that boulder back up the regular season hill. What you are trying to do right out of the gate is eliminate all distractions and eliminate all injuries. Those are the two things that you do during spring training. I don't want distractions and I want to get through spring training without injuries. When you walk into your clubhouse and you have an existing distraction and you don't take care of it, you are giving up your season. I don't like talking badly about anything that Jerry Reinstorf's involved with because I love Jerry, but the Chicago White Sox have a problem. They signed Mike Clevenger to a one-year $12 million contract. He is currently under investigation as we did a segment. You can go back and look whenever it was. He's under investigation for violating the domestic violence and child abuse policy of Major League Baseball. However, unlike in the Trevor Bauer situation, he was not put on administrative leave by the league. And it was said that he is available for full spring training activities. That means he's there for pitchers and catchers. He's there to throw bullpens. He can appear in spring games. He can get ready for the season while MLB is doing its investigation. And when they're done with the investigation, he very well is likely to be suspended. If you're the White Sox, you put him on the unable to play list and you pay him. You can't not pay him because you're going to have to pay him later. But you take him out of that clubhouse, even though he's one of your only additions, even though that you have not done much to improve your team. The reason you take him out is that the juice is not nearly worth the squeeze for the distraction that he presents before he even takes the mound. And we're not exactly talking about Cy Young here. We're talking about a player who is way overvalued, way overpaid, and way ineffective. You know when you're running a team and you're starting the long slog toward October, that if you start on a negative note, on a bad note, you are putting yourself in a position to fail before the first pitch is even thrown. And you know what that is? That's bad business. Sorry, Mike. Sorry, Jerry. This is nothing personal. 